Welcome to Game On Girl. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of Game On Girl. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, and I have an amazing interview with Jamie Cordero, CEO of Espionage Cosmetics. This is a live episode recorded at Rose City Comic Con this month in Portland, Oregon. We have a great conversation in a very loud and crowded restaurant. So stay tuned and thanks for listening to Game On Girl. that um, I was a professional makeup artist back in the day. I did a lot of um, a lot of web series and film and TV and a lot of um, a lot of commercial stuff that was like internal for T-Mobile or for um, Lincoln Cars or the VA things like that. But I was also really heavily involved with um, web series in particular. Seems to be like skew very nerdy, especially in the Pacific Northwest. And so um, I spent a lot of time in the woods, freezing my butt off, um, making orcs in the middle of the forest. <laughs> That's dedication. That's dedication. Um, it, it is. It's. It was definitely dedication because I, I just don't. I've never had the capacity to have to want to just do whatever everybody else is doing. So I'd much rather work harder to have a, a fun experience, um, to get to know people that I would never get to know otherwise. Um, and it also, me being on those kinds of sets where it was like no pay at first and 14 hours a day and you show up first and you leave last, it endeared me to a lot of people because they're like, oh, this girl, is, she is like on the team, yeah. And um, I, I tell people this all the time because I know that there's like a very big conversation around unpaid internships and um, I'm an advocate of it. Not only because I did them, but because I also believe it's your responsibility to get out of an unpaid internship if it's not helping you like like proceed in what you're trying to do. But for me, like I knew it was my responsibility, and I just worked as hard as I could around the people I wanted to be around, and I learned so many things. And yes, they were going to pass all of that information on to me if I worked, you know, regular eight to ten hour days with them. But but there's something that happens when you, when somebody realizes that you're not going to leave until they leave, and that you're not going to leave a man behind, essentially. That um, you're not going to opt out because you're not getting paid, so you feel like I don't have to like absolutely. See this yeah. And that turned into to a lot of referrals, a lot of repeat business, a lot of really great clients and really great contacts, all of whom I still work with, I still talk to, have supported espionage, and have in some way, shape, or form been like a really big part of us like forming into like a real business, a real company. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I'm just a very, very big advocate of um, going, going and offering slave labor to somebody who's doing the thing that you want to do. Because the incredible amount of things that you will learn um, are invaluable. It's actually better than school, especially for makeup artists in particular. Because anything that has a practical yes, yes, and again, it is on you to make it 
worth it. Like to like push those um, all of those contacts into like another level. But it's also your responsibility to be like, hey, this is not what you said it was. Right. I'm gonna stand down. You right. know. Um, I mean, I'm very, I've been, I've been very good at making things work for me, even if I got taken advantage of, because I just didn't dwell on that part, and I just kept moving forward. Yeah, um, and it's it served me very well, um, and it also helped me um, help inform how anybody who comes into espionage is treated, because I want to make sure that they're getting something out of it. And we don't have, we did do unpaid internships like way, way back in the day. That no longer happens. Um, but even with uh, the people that come in as employees or as um, contractors, they still, like, I want to make sure it's not just a job to them. You know, if they move on from us, what are they going to do with what they learned What are they taking with them? Yeah. What opportunities Yeah, because espionage is like a unique... There's, you, you can literally just build your own job there. If you're, if you're determined enough and driven enough, because I'm not going to like carry anybody to any finish line. Um, so the, the willingness to do it and the, the give a damn to just like be exhausted and do it anyway. Absolutely. The, the, Three, there are three people in our company that have been with us for a significant period of time. One of which I just like met as a cosplayer on the showroom floor like five years ago. She's now our creative director. She's one of the hardest working people that I know, and she's good at everything that she does. But she got that position because she was like just constantly. She always had her face in our face. She's always going to be on the team. Like it's just so that's um, that's definitely a through line for the whole company. First of all, to, I mean, everybody has awkward, weird anxiety. We're all nerds. That's kind of the thing. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and Maybe just recognizing that. Like, yeah. The person you're trying to network with. Yep. Probably feels everybody feels weird. Everybody yeah. feels weird about this. Yeah. Um, but the longer that you let it be weird, the more awkward it gets, and the less chance you have of actually, like, retrieving that connection. Um, there's, like, we have a rule for our, our booth at um, any convention. Nobody is allowed to come into our booth for more than two seconds before my team says something to them, because if, if you don't, then, then people are just, like, looking around, like, okay, I'm looking at your stuff. This is really awesome, but nobody's saying anything to me. If you have a, especially a space that like you walk into, yes. like somebody should immediately be like, absolutely. And it doesn't have to be like super sales because you're like, look at our sales. Like you can just say hi. You can compliment them on their awesome Doctor Who shirt. Like there's a million things that you can do to make somebody feel more comfortable. Um, because even if you have a really cool product, 
or a really like really beautiful art, if you make somebody feel weird right out of the bat, or right off the bat, like you lost them. Um, and so it's one of the, it's kind of like what I was talking about yesterday that when I was younger, I had a really rough childhood, but as I grew up, it became a superpower, and that is one of my superpowers because most people, um, until I call that out, nobody really articulates that thing specifically at conventions that there are a lot of people sitting behind sitting behind tables who are very talented and have worked really hard and they are their own worst enemy because they don't interact because there is another awkward nerd on the other side <laughs> and they're doing exactly what you would do exactly. if you walked into a booth and nobody said anything yeah. to you you'd be like oh, no, no, that's <laughs> weird even if you're walking past someone's table and you know I appreciate when people are drawing and stuff but it's like yeah Yes. This is where you're on. You need to be on. And exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So just realize that there's no way to not be uncomfortable and stop acting like everything has to be comfortable, y'all. Walk it off. <laughs> um, and then the other thing, I think. Can you repeat the question, how you phrased it? Because I had two things. Oh, it was... Um, uh, how would you suggest someone get started networking? Like, oh, okay. what ways would you want? Okay, so that was the first thing. The second thing is to go meet people and figure out how you can help them. Okay, so what you can provide to them. Yes. Yes, and it doesn't even have to be like you. Um, you are physically like. Like, oh, okay, I can do this thing, I can offer them that thing. Sometimes, there are a lot of times when friends of mine are doing something really cool, and nail wraps are going to help them 0%. And I always say, what can I do to, like, what can I do? Can I send out emails? Can I help you build an audience on Facebook? I'm really good at things like that. Like, what can, what can I do? Even if it's um, answering phones, bringing you some food. There's always something, and honestly, sometimes you don't even, like, for the majority of the time, you don't even pay out on that promise. Right. It's, yeah. it's you that you... Exactly. That what they're doing is worthwhile. Exactly. Because when you say, I want to help you, yes. that's what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. And I wish more people would think um, more about just being beneficial to their community right. more so than when I network, how can I max level make this awesome for me? Right. Well, because that's a really important piece of it. I mean, I know you guys have been involved with BeatGirlCon since the beginning of the That was our very first convention. Right. The very first our first convention was their first convention. Right. Yeah. And it was the first, like, it, it was very accidental. I had never been to a convention before in my entire life. Well, that's going to be a first. That is the best first to start with. <laughs> yes. like, in terms of, like, community-driven. Absolutely. And at the time, espionage wasn't necessarily, like, really, it's not the nerd makeup company that it was, like, like that it is now. It was, like, a makeup company, and I added some nerdy things to it, and I was just like, oh, well, maybe this will be a thing, like, because I, you know, table vending, I guess, I thought that would be a good idea. And so I registered for it, and little did I know that that would have formed like the rest of what this company has become, because I just, I mean, we came out with the Gamer Girl Collection and the Brown Coats Collection that year, and they both sold out at that show, and so I was like, okay, so maybe mm, this isn't as strange as I thought. <laughs> I mean, it's still niche, but it was clearly not that niche. And, um, and... The other thing, now that I'm saying Geek Girl Con thing, is to do what you can with what you have at the time and stop thinking everything has to be fucking perfect before you get started. Because 
when we did the Geek, Geek Girl Con the first time, first of all, I'd never been to a convention, definitely didn't know what I was doing, never even sold anything to someone like that. Um, I'm surprised I had a square reader. I'm not even sure how that happens. Thank God it did. Um, but I remember... I didn't even, I hadn't even thought about how people were going to see the colors until about two hours before the show. And we made laminated mats that we literally had one color that was upside down on and the other color that was open so they could see it. And that was it. And they would just take the one that was upside down so they could see the name. And it was all of our colors, all 45 that we brought with us were dumped into one container. And my husband and my friend Holly, who's still, who is currently espionage, is like that she's now our HR person. Um, and my friend Angela, they dug through a bin of hundreds of pigments. Yes, and that's what we did in order to like run our first convention. That makes me, I feel like I'm gonna break out in hives right now. That's never actually happened to me, <laughs> but I feel like it could happen. Yes, but it got us to where we are now. And so um, people people are really on this like perfection kick. Like I can't put anything out until it's absolutely And nobody's gonna see shit. The way you get better is being bad. Well, you, make, you have to make the mistakes to, to learn how yes. to succeed. Like, you have Absolutely. to fall. Yes. I am a huge, huge, huge fan of scarf tissue and of skin disease. I was just talking about that in class. There is nobody that's worth a damn that has not messed some, some really bad. terrible things up. Exactly. There is nobody. You know, some life grit that is You mentioned kind of briefly, but um, was how when you organize your business, your day, you do it in terms of clothing. Right? So you have gamified essentially your routine. Right? So can you just like walk me through that process a little bit? Because I just I love it. Um, I'm a World of Warcraft player too. That is like that's. Uh, did you play BC? Yes. No. Okay. I feel like everybody is just like the glory days of BC. <laughs> My husband and I literally spent an entire weekend watching YouTube videos about how much better BC was than every other expansion. You and we were like, yeah, damn right. That's when you had tried to get a group. Like it was ridiculous. We we're like the old people. But um, so every time somebody is like, yeah, I used to play back in the day. I'm like BC, wasn't it? <laughs> everybody. Um, we're actually, we just started um, an espionage, like, uh, guild, and um, is, and we're waiting on the vanilla servers to come back out, because none of us want to be messing around with this new WoW that's happening. We want old WoW back. <laughs> um, but all of us, we, we skew really gamer-heavy at espionage, and so it's very easy to to communicate in terms of breaking like our jobs down by by those yeah exactly exactly and um, I mean I wouldn't say that every morning we're like okay you're GPSing this and like but all of us know our role and it has been openly discussed like these are like exactly like um, you know my um, my mom actually just joined our team and she's been working part-time with us to do payroll and HR because it was just like becoming too much for our one person. And um, I would say that my mom, you know, she has no idea gaming terms. She would be a healer. 
because she's the person that comes in. She comforts everybody. But um, and like when I specifically called out that I am a tank, um, I was I also had meant to say something during that that piece of the conversation that I think more people need to hear within the whole. Just being an entrepreneur in general, not just even a nerd for a living or a nerd boss, but anybody who's trying to do their own thing, that not everybody's the king. And I think that we've like built up being an entrepreneur so hard. It's like being a rapper now. Like a specific, it's ridiculous. Like, a specific role, like there's only one type of entrepreneur and you have to like fit into this character. And you don't, it's not necessarily healthy to think that like, and it's actually not good for most groups to be the person at the top. They're not built for that. Somebody like, like it takes a specific fucking kind of person. Right. Well, our crap's are stronger, right? Absolutely. Like, I can withstand an intense amount of pressure and disappointment and things like that, and I'll just walk it off. And that's actually my, one of my jobs as far as I'm concerned to my team. But I want more people to, like, go do your thing, but maybe you just don't have to be the guy at the top. Like, when, when Amazon became a thing, the guys that were, like, 11, 15, 27, 45, they made a lot of money. They made a lot of money. Most of those people, I would, I would venture to guess that, like, 100, like, right up to 150 could probably retire for the rest of their life and probably have. Yeah. And it was a fraction of the pressure from of being the number one. But everybody only thinks of themselves as the number one. And what they need to do in most cases is go find their tank. Go find a me, go find a gym, go find you know, go find the people who are going to be the the front line and who are going to shoulder the shit that you have no idea what you're about to walk into because again they're a little bit broken. <laughs> and honestly like I thrive in pressure like that and I find ways to pivots to like it's not also pushing to me but it would be to somebody who has a, a DPS heals the spirit you know and it's okay to not be the guy at the top in fact I would say it's smarter to not be the guy at the top and so I want more people to do that exactly when you're more awesome you're the person at the top you get in that position and then yep you are that position and you don't have the chance to say, as you said, people can make their own way in your company, right? But if you're the top, then you're assigned to that role. You don't have the flexibility. Absolutely. And there's just, like, it's it's a, um, it's like a crushing amount of stuff sometimes. You're just like, what the hell? But I'm not, like, I'm not the first person this has ever happened to. It's honestly sometimes the stuff that's the heaviest is are the things that I think I've caused with my inexperience or with my, um, you know, not having an MBA or we've never written a business plan for espionage. I know that sounds terrible and <laughs> I know a lot of MBAs who've written business plans and they don't have a business. And so, like, there's there, there are a lot of things that we haven't... Um, that haven't that hasn't been built to like best case scenario as far as anybody would be concerned. 
and yet we're probably one of the strongest companies like in the like the nerd industry because we've had to fight really hard for it and really care about it. I think there's something to be said for, um, I, I think you said this in the panel yesterday too, kind of being able to roll with it, Yeah. you know, and, and I think, I mean, business plans are great and projections are great and numbers and, I mean, they make certain people feel secure. But nobody's business works like that. No, like nothing not. runs like that. And unless you can pivot, like you said, unless you can pivot yeah. in the moment yep. and figure out the new plans, yep. then you're going to be sunk. Yep. Um, the detour is the journey, essentially, and most people that like that terrifies them. And in fact, they think that something they're doing something wrong or something is wrong if it didn't go like it said on paper. And for someone like me who has never had anything in my life go like it was supposed to go on paper, there's nothing in me that's like, oh yeah, we should quit all this. Okay, we have to stop. No, exactly. It's like, okay, we've come this far. We put a lot of time and energy into this. What else can we do with this? Like one day, I, I there are. A, a lot of things that are just like sensitive information because we're, you know, in growth stages or we're in the middle of R&D or, you know, whatever reason. But I can't wait until like 10 years from now when I can tell some stories about the things we pivoted out of some fuckery. Because we have, there have been some things that could have been like death blows to the company that myself and my brilliant team of nerds, who it's basically all them, I'm like 2% of the equation. I just talk louder than everybody. Um, where we have managed to turn something really crappy into something that's like the biggest part of our business now. And we just don't talk about it all the time because that's not necessarily wise business. Like business, um, like, I think it's more like I am all about being open and transparent and things like that, but I think that sometimes people who are trying to grow a business, they mistake that or, or, or that overrides their need to also be a little bit quiet about the right. things that they're doing within their company because some, they need some room to grow. They don't need people picking at it. They don't need people knowing about it because they really need to get it like figured out first. Um, like there's, there's, we don't always have to talk about everything. Um, and so, one of yeah, but. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and yet. And yet. And yet. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So, um... I'm trying to figure out how to kind of phrase this question. It's been one that was popping in my mind after listening to the panel. I don't know if I want to say how does it feel, but but kind of how does it feel to have gone like to have taken something that didn't exist before yeah. and make it exist? Like in terms of your process, like when you look at like the landscape of your life, and you're like this thing could happen and now it has. Like, what's the most satisfying part? Um. That I, I don't have to be bored. I don't have to be bored. I don't ever have to sit in a cubicle and just think to myself. I, in the last seven years, I have not once, not once in seven years, looked at a clock and thought, I cannot fucking wait to get out of here. Not once. And I work 90 hours a week. 
that is uh, that's an incredible thing to me because I know that like two percent of people for from now till the end of time will ever experience that, and that is that's very meaningful to me. Um, the fact that another thing like I I get to experience things that less than like five percent of people, no matter like what I'm calling out, will ever get to experience. Like working with somebody who built something or created something that you loved when you were a little kid, and then working with them as an adult to create a product for your company, or just creating a product from the ground up, from like, I really like this idea, let's make this design, let's produce it physically, and then it sells out. There's, I mean, a lot of people will go through those various steps, and almost none of them will experience all of them, and I experience those probably like once a week. Right. <laughs> yeah. What's the scariest part of it for you? Um, is there a scary part? I mean, I guess there's no. There is a scary part. Um, so, honestly, the... Well, so the um, the in 2009, my little brother Joey and I'm gonna get a little choked up, but I'm gonna I'll work through it. Um, my little brother Joey just passed away. He went to sleep and he didn't wake up. Um, and even though we all grew up very nerdy and very into just things that you know little girls in the south were not into, like wrestling and Conan and like Ninja Turtles, um, my brother. Joey was the one that was the only one of us that like got past 15 and was not about to just not be a nerd because it wasn't cool to anybody like he was like about it yeah and when when he passed away I um I remember thinking to myself I should play the Halo and um, and because I'm a hard-headed bitch, that translated into I am not going to spend the rest of my life in a place where, like most people, spend their lives or most of their life at their job. And I should have been playing Halo with my brother. So I wasn't about to like cycle into let me just go work a shit job for the rest of my life. And um, and so I was just like, well, I guess you're gonna figure that out. Yeah. And this is essentially how I figured it out. You took that process and put it into the business. Basically. Um, and I am very lucky that it worked. I'm very, very lucky that it worked. Um, the chances of it working are basically zero. It's probably less than zero. Um, but I'm glad it did. Um, and I'm sure my brother would think it's hilarious that his legacy is nerd makeup. <laughs> Um, I'm sure that he'd think that's really, really funny. <laughs> um, but, so to me, I've already had the worst day of my life. Um, so, hearing literally anything else, dealing with literally anything else, will never get above that threshold. So like I said, it takes a very particular um, broken kind of person to be able to, to do it. But my threshold is just high enough. Like there is, there is, I mean, I would say that my, my high threshold for it is actually off-putting most of the time and I have to, I actually have to marshal it because it also can turn into me being like, what are you all bitching about? We all get it together. Right, because you just go so far. Yes. Yeah. 
Exactly, and that's not necessarily reasonable for, <laughs> for regular humans. <laughs> um, I shouldn't expect that everybody has to be traumatized to the highest degree in order to really know or understand what pain or discomfort is like. Um, and so I have to like rein it in from time to time and have a talk with myself about it. Um, but it is at least good for for me to manage what actually is a bad day. What's actually a let's shut it down. This is this is a deal breaker. There's really nothing. When you're comparing on a scale like that, it does. I've had recent trauma myself. Losing my mom a few years ago, and so you know, yeah. I feel this. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Absolutely. That's a great story, but. I don't, I don't share it often because I can't get, it's been almost 10 years. It doesn't matter. And I literally can't get through it without, it's like racking socks. And as much as I know that that story is, would really help a lot of people, there, people will also not hear the story because they're going to be so off put by my emotions and I still haven't gotten my shit together about it. <laughs> so only very briefly, every once in a while, can I even say it. My dad passed away when I was 13 and I still can't talk into that story without checking it and it's been a long time. And some, you know, some wounds just stay that way. Yeah. Um, a lot of people like said to me, uh, there were two things that they, that, or one thing they said to me then is something that I hear occasionally now and I don't necessarily agree with and the first was that like the longer it goes, the easier it will get, which um, I guess, yeah, but no context. It's just that you learn to adjust for the weight of the trauma. Right. It's like you're, you're just carrying it. You're carrying it. So yes. My threshold got higher for how much pain I'm carrying. Exactly. So it didn't get easier. I just got stronger. That's the perfect And the other thing is that, like, um, I think I've had a couple people be like, well, I mean, maybe you should talk to somebody about the fact that it's still, like, bringing up this, like, that it's hurting that much that you should have. And I'm just like, I... To me, it doesn't bother me that I cry when I think about my brother being gone. Because I don't feel like it's um, it's outlandish or that I'm living in the middle of that grief. In fact, I feel like I'm building a lot out of it. Um, and he was worth a little bit of pain every once in a while. I'll lock that off. And it, I think that um, I think that the pain kind of centered, like re centers me yes. about why I'm doing what I'm doing in the first place. It helps you, you know, kind of make it. Yeah, absolutely. Because everybody does that, you know, you don't, no, nobody has guarantee right. of tomorrow. Right. You, of you don't know how, like, so you should enjoy all of these moments. I actually know that's true. And so it's, it, it brings me back to, you know, are all of the things that you're really being kind of bitchy about or whiny about or focusing so much energy on. Um, like, does it really rain? Yeah. And most of the time it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an excellent, that's an excellent perspective. And it's important for people to hear stories like that and to hear, I think, one of the biggest lessons I learned about grief was having to figure out how you're going to honor the people that have left your life. Yeah. And that's a perfect, a perfect story of how, you know, Thank you. I don't know how to end on this. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm really good at making it weird. <laughs> so I guess you're welcome. <laughs> a huge thank you to Jamie for keeping it weird and chatting with me at Rose City Comic Con. What are your best suggestions for networking? What's an inspiring, if difficult, moment from your life? Have a story to share? Let me know at DocLiz with two Zs on Twitter. Make sure to subscribe to Game On Girl. Episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Podbean. Don't forget to check out thegeekembassy.com for all kinds of fabulous geeky content, including pictures of the fabulous swag Jamie gifted me with. So thanks so much for listening, and until next time, game on!